We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hello, hello, hello. So, I know you usually start the show, but I've just got to say, Torin, I think for posterity's sake, we need to record um, today that this week uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine. Um, and this may, just putting that out there, may be a historical moment in, in our lifetimes, in our history, um, as we think about it. It's also a DNI issue um, that we should be thinking and talking about. But yeah, how are you? How do you feel about Russia and Ukraine? Um, honestly, I don't feel much about it, you know, because I feel like, you know, at some point we are always looking at, um, we're looking at other countries in terms of how we are policing the world. And right now, while it is Russia and Ukraine at the center of the conversation, um, it's pretty safe of a thought that if there becomes some live conflict, that in some way it's going to begin to bring other countries into that action, that activity. And I believe it's going to bring them in in ways more than just simply setting sanctions. And so right now, I don't necessarily feel any way about it because I'm so accustomed to our having these I don't want to call them spats. I'm not trying to minimize it, but I, but I am watching. Let me just say that yeah. because, you know, we will, you know, if, if involved, then that means some of our listeners, children, yeah, their sons yeah. and daughters are going to be over there and involved in some way. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, I was saying this to you before the show, I am extra sensitive to it as I have a daughter who's uh, in Budapest and in case you don't know, uh, Ukraine and Hungary share a, a small, but still share a border. Um, so I've, I've been really attentive to this news just from a personal perspective, but I was reading some great articles this week about how Ukrainian, um, it, Jewish Ukrainians are fearing and, and practicing um, protections after you know a long history of Russian aggression and programs towards Russian Jews you know throughout their history dating I believe back as early as the 1800s maybe even you know longer than that so there's a lot of compelling personal and I don't want to say diversity but you know different lived experiences. Um, that are happening and coming to the surface because of this this whole conversation or this whole invasion or interaction or whatever it is we want to call it right now. You know what's funny is how the uh, the conversation differs from the political parties. You know, at one point there was a party who was extremely upset that a particular son had some interaction with Ukraine. 
And it, it, it's just amazing how they flip flop on what incites them and what mm-hmm. they're willing to give a pass to. Whereas in another instance, they are praising um, the president of Russia. Like it's incredible how, and, and, and I got to tell you, you know, I say this to you often. It is one of the things that causes me the most, and, and I'm going to use the word consternation because I'm not thinking of a better word, but I or probably is the better word. Politicians cause me some of the most ire. And the fact that they, in their posture, are able to separate us the way that they do, it, it is it is just infuriating to me. So I'm watching it because I live here. I know it's going to have some impact on, again, our listeners. I don't think I have any family members right now that are currently serving. So I can't suggest that from a serving perspective, it's going to impact the family. But from a residual impact, gas prices and all of that stuff is going to go up. So we're all going to be impacted. Yeah, we definitely are. And I think, you know, that your point relates exactly to our main topic in the show. And I don't want to give it away, but the the influence of of our media bubbles, our news bubbles, our social media bubbles, um, and how we feel about these types of things, right? It really matters. And historically, we're going to talk about why those things matter today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's start with Google first, though. Um, It's a place where most of us can speak to some degree of authority. I mean, we bring the screen (laughs) up, we bring the screen up and we see that little bar and we throw in what it is that we're looking for, short form, long tail, one word, a number, a formula. I mean, the system has gotten incredibly smart. Google is something that we all know about. Well, there was a story uh, over in the Washington Post that talks about how they have lowered salaries for some of the workers in um, North Carolina offices. I, I don't know if it's happening in other offices, but in the Washington Post, it specifically talked about uh, the North Carolina offices and in these areas, some of the executives say that it is really used or a measure to help increase the overall diversity of the workforce. I mean, they are going to these areas, areas where there's a concentration of underrepresented talent, or to be more specific, black, brown talent, Hispanic, Latina, Latin talent. They're going to some of these areas and they are doing a great deal of recruiting but they are bringing them in at a salary lower than had they be working at HQ or in some of the larger cities like in Atlanta. Yeah. This story just, it just fucking makes me laugh. Like someone in a PR room set up and thought, you know what, we're going to pay people less and then we're going to try to figure out how to spin it as a good thing. Oh, diversity. There are black and brown people that live in in North Carolina in Charlotte. Let's let's spin it that way. Not that you're just outside of D.C. Not that you're just outside of the defense triangle. Not that you're just outside of massive amounts of available talent of every color, right? But we've been having this fight in you know 2021 about tech companies who want to 
allow workers to work from home, to work in different locations. But the payoff of that is, is you have to make less money. And to me, this is just Google trying to re-spin a story that is not worker friendly. It's not good for diversity. It's not good for the people. It's good for Google's bottom line. And, and, and talk about the bottom line, because it's not as if they didn't have a banner year in 2021. Yeah. I mean, Google made $260 billion now, 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 <laughs> now, 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 you have to be as accurate as possible. We know the number in front of us is $257.6 billion, not 260 to our listeners. Julie apologizes. No, she doesn't. Uh, I mean, like a banner year. Yeah. And, and, and you got to ask yourself, like, what is it actually going to hurt to just simply pay people? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people are impacted by this, but, but let's just say that the worker salaries in these areas where they're lowering them, let's say that if they brought them up to par, it would, it would shave another billion dollars off of the bottom line. Yes. Like who's upset with $255 billion in revenue? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't be. The stock, the shareholders would not be. I mean, the $257 billion is up 41% from 2020. So again, these are massive growth numbers, massive. And to use this story as diversity is just like, it's comical in its idiocy um, and and degrading in its way that people or that comps people actually think that anyone is going to buy it. Yeah. And I, I actually got down uh, before we switch. You know, I got down into the comments. So I'm going to read two comments. One of the comments in the Washington Post story. You, you may not be able to find them because by the time this this pod comes out, I'm sure other people have commented. But. One of the comments in the story came from somebody with the uh, handle BK2015. He said, Boeing tried the same thing with opening a factory in South Carolina. Lower wages, weaker unions than in Seattle. It resulted in poor planes being built and more work returning to Seattle. That, that was his take. So I'm, I'm assuming from that, he's, he's on our side of, Pay the people what you pay them at headquarters. Another comment from a person in the article, their handle was Blue Texan. He said, or they said, I don't think they understand how location impacts pay. If you want to be paid Atlanta wages, move to Atlanta. So he's against paying individuals the same thing that they would make in some of these larger NFL alpha cities. Uh, and so I guess this is not an argument certainly that we're going to solve in this particular episode, but it is absolutely a consideration that I think, you know, HR teams, compensation teams should be considering, you know, when is it really justified that we, we pay people something less than their colleagues are making in another city. 
So we may not be able to fix this, but let's talk about something that our listeners and you and I can have dramatic impact on, which is alternative text for images. Hey, everybody. As you may have seen from the title page, the topic for this video is accessibility. Accessibility deals with how a computer reads data from your documents. I figured many of you have probably never used a screen reader before, so I recorded some examples of accessible and inaccessible content. After you hear a couple of these examples, I think you'll see how big of an impact you have by the way you enter your data. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to hop into this one because I'm guilty. Like straight up, I'm guilty. I post on social media and I don't include alternative text or alt text. Tell them what alt text is. So really simply, alter, alt text is how a screen, write, screen reader or assistive device interacts with and communicates an image. So if I post on Instagram and it's a picture of... Tristan and I at the zoo by a giraffe. If I don't put that that text, all a screen reader hears is image. Or maybe we get an auto-generated text from Instagram and it says, a boy and a girl. It doesn't tell you the story of the image. Does that make sense? It does. And let me tell you, you know, one of the things that I try to do, I don't do it all the time, but but I try to do when I'm speaking is I try to speak to the folks that may have a visual disability or some degree of visual impairment. And so when I'm standing in front of the camera, the mic, I may describe for the individuals, listen, this is what I'm wearing or this may be what's in my background. And so what you're suggesting is that every single website has that capability because the alt text and what we're saying is ALT, the alt text is it's programmed or inserted in the HTML code for a particular page. But you brought up a specific example on Instagram. And I don't think, I don't know if enough people know that they can have an impact even in their personal posts on Instagram, which is what I was saying. I am extremely guilty of not consistently doing that on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on LinkedIn. Can you talk about how we can do alt text better without using technology, just simply using our own keyboards manually? Yeah, so I, all of these platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, are now providing um, posters with the opportunity to put alt text into their image. And it's only happening about 0.1% of the time. So if you think that there are r roughly 60 million images uploaded on Instagram every single day, 0.1 of them is having that alt text added. and. Let me tell you why you want to take the time to do it. Just like you and I were just talking about this before we started recording the episode, we have added transcription to our podcast. Um, why do we do that? Because we knew that we had listeners with hearing impairments who, who are deaf, uh, who 
would love to be able to read the podcast. That allows us to be purposefully more inclusive. And what's been the results of that? We've seen our listenership go up. We've seen um, our engagement from listeners go up simply because it's also good for SEO. And so as a business, as, as people who are, you know, influencers on social media and in our industry, it's important for us to do it, one, because it demonstrates living our, our values and, and being as inclusive as possible. And we're never going to be perfect at it. But attempts, right, will make a big difference to what you say are your priorities, but it also has an important impact for your image being seen more often, your image being more attractive um, to Google, to algorithms. So there's, you know, and and I don't want to say that it's not important to do because you want to be inclusive. That's the reason you should do it. But just like everything that we do for my community, everyone ends up benefiting from it. People can read, people can engage. You and I as podcast hosts benefit from doing that because it drives traffic to us. We are becoming a more trusted source. And that's really, you know, if I'm, if I'm making the case for why spend 30 seconds before you post that picture to put in that alt text, it's really good for your brand. It's really good for you as a person to develop your, your social brand and your social personality. It also helps people um, who otherwise wouldn't get to interact with 61 million photos in a, in a day um, to have and hear your stories, hear what's going on in your life in a way that's rich and meaningful to them. And I'm going to tell you the first time that I saw it on Instagram, you know, it was, uh, I can't remember whose post it was, but it was inside of the brackets. And on my keyboard, the brackets are uh, just to the right of the P. Um, and, and, and so I saw brackets, I saw ALT text and then another bracket. And then I saw this description under it. And I really, and this was like within the last year, year and a half. Um, and I, I sat there and I read it for a moment. Reading it wasn't the issue. I was trying to understand what was the person doing? Because I had not seen that in a post before. The person had already put up their image. They had put whatever little, you know, quirky caption goes up under the image. And then it said alt text. Different than me, I may do my quirky post or whatever my post is about. I may throw in my hashtags and, you know, I have some familiar phrases that I put under all of my Instagram posts, but I had not done alt text. And so, and I didn't even think, honestly, Jay, I didn't even think to Google, like, why is this person doing this? Mm-hmm. It just kind of resonated with me. I said, oh, I got it. But it took a moment, not yeah. a long moment, but it took a moment. And I understood. Uh, and I love, um, there's uh, an individual, Dr. Amy Cavanaugh. Uh, she's on Twitter as Blonde Historian. Dr. Amy Cavanaugh on Twitter as Blonde historian. She actually puts up a uh, post, and this was on August 2nd of last year, 2021. But she says, here are my top tips. Number one, if there is text included, real simple, if there is text included. Number two, she says, what stands out to you in the image? And she asked that as a question. So apparently she's telling you, look at what 
is important to you in the image and then draft that under your alt text. She says a red coat, a skyscraper, a dog. Describe it. Go ahead and describe it. And then the third thing that she says is think about context. If it's a fashion picture, tell me about the clothing. If it's a group photo, I don't need every outfit to be described. And she goes on and it's a thread. It's a nice thread. We'll include it in our show notes. But it's a way for you to think about when you are out engaging on social media, whatever the platform is, maybe consider, as Julie said, taking an additional 30 seconds. Maybe it's a little bit longer than that. Maybe you have to spend, you know, four or five minutes thinking about, well, how do I want to briefly, succinctly describe what it is that's in this imagery, but the impact that it's going to have in allowing so many more people to engage in what it is that, you know, I'm posting, allowing me to even become more of an influencer and build my audience as well. So I really, really appreciated the story. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, it stood out to me, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up this section as so important um, because really we're going to get to a point where as, as businesses and brands for those uh, of our listeners who, who lead organizations and who lead talent acquisition and DEI that not having a inclusive and accessible experience is not going to work any longer. Uh, we had a, a friend of the pod a couple of the weeks ago who um, called me after he applied to a job at one of the largest financial corporations in this country, if not the world, um, couldn't apply to a job because it wasn't screen reader friendly. Completely unacceptable. Um, and and as individuals, we can start to see how easy it is, how um there are opportunities within our everyday lives to make things more accessible and companies have leave even less excuses once we understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Shout out to you for that. Uh, I appreciate you dropping that story on. Um, we got another resource attached to that. So make sure you continue to listen until we get down to the resource section in this week's episode. Real quick in a flash. Brad Pitt sued ex-wife Angelina Jolie for selling her stake in the French vineyard to a Russian oligarch. Officials announced they plan to remove homeless people from New York City subways and local Apple Store employees around the U.S. are quietly seeking to unionize this, according to The Washington Post. Talk about one extreme to another homelessness to Apple stores. Some call that privilege. Others might say it's a little tone deaf. Grab your passport. Australia will reopen to international travelers for the first time in two years. It seems like the Chinese American community uh, is beginning to flex more of their voting muscle. And good for them. And Sam Britton, I'm sorry, that is good for them. And Sam Britton says, quote, yes, I know it won't be easy. Yes, I realize this is an enormous challenge. And yes, I'm ready to take it on. They wrote at the time. Now, if you're not sure who Sam Britton is, hit that search engine. A fire broke out on a 650-foot ship earlier in the week, and there were about 1,000 Porsches and 189 Bentleys involved. Would you drive a burnt-out Bentley? Coca-Cola launches a new limited-edition flavor based on space, and I think that does it. For our this week's installation of In a Flash, Julie and I will be right back. 
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to The Jim Stroud Podcast. All right. Welcome back. So, you know, we ta- we tease at the top of the show how important our media bubbles are, how communication and those media companies that are driving information into us on a daily basis, how important they are. Historically, those conversations are also starting to happen. Uh, h- hook us up, Tor. Absolutely. The headline says we are deeply and profoundly sorry. Now, I'm just going to pause for a second because I really want that to sit with each of our listeners as we uh, unfold this particular story. We are deeply and profoundly sorry for decades the Baltimore Sun promoted policies that oppressed Black Marylanders. We are working to make amends. That's the headline. Deeply and profoundly sorry, oppressing Black Marylanders, and they are working to make amends. Story came out this week in the Baltimore Sun, and it really goes on to say that the newspaper frequently employed prejudice as a tool of the times, that it fed the fear and anxiety of white readers with stereotypes and caricatures that reinforced their erroneous beliefs about Black Americans. And the Baltimore Sun was founded by Aruna S. Abel. He is the founding publisher of the Baltimore Sun, and he was a Southern sympathizer and supporter. Story also says that we have made efforts before to bolster DNI or diversity and inclusion. But the evolution has unfortunately been slow. The death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore police custody back in 2015 and the national light it shone on the persistent disparities in the city shook us out of our complacency. I want to piggyback on that and just um, say the word rebellious resonates with me. I I founded a a magazine called Rebellious, and I used that word because my boss told me I was being rebellious when I was in the mainstream newsroom. And the reason was that I had asked for too many weekends off in a row. That's what I got called rebellious for. And I feel like it also speaks to, like, we've been talking a lot about culture, about coverage, um, but I think we also, of course, the other part of that equation is newsroom culture is how black journalists get treated in newsrooms in general and the culture of newsrooms that um, supports the status quo idea that you have to be straight and white and middle class in order to be objective, that that is the default position for viewing the world. And if you are not those things, then you are biased. So, I mean, it's both about culture and about, it's both about coverage and about newsroom culture and the culture of journalism as a whole. So uh, among the paper's offenses, we 
and I love that they just did this. Yeah, but you, you know what? Before you even do that, just just when you originally hear the the headline, does it strike an emotion? Does it take like the left side of your brain to a certain space? Does it take the right side to a place? Does it validate why you've been doing this DNI work? Does it make you want to double down on the work? Is it just another excuse, another red herring, another flare that, you know, perhaps the white community is sending up because they want to seem like they are woke and allies? Or is it another flare, you know, of of of, of excuse that black folks are using, you know, instead of pulling themselves up by their bootstrap, they're just simply like, what did you think, Julie, when you heard the headline? So this may be naive and I am never optimistic. So just take that for what it's worth. Um, it, it made me hopeful. It made me proud, if that's the right word, because they said the words, we are deeply and profoundly sorry, period. There's no caveats. There's no, this is not us today. This is like, we are deeply and profoundly sorry period yeah you didn't hear the if we offended anyone none of that it was it was straight to the point and like you said there was um abbreviation there was it's a moment for you to hold on to what you feel to be genuine coming from the newsroom yes yes um and I love that they also went back and they didn't wait for someone to tell them what their offenses were. They identified their offenses and and frankly, they're fairly shocking even just to feel and hear out loud. So, for example, classified ads selling enslaved people or offering rewards for their return, um, which appeared just two months after the paper's launch in May of 1837. Editorials in the early 1900s seeking to disenfranchise black voters because as the Sun opinion writers wrote, and I'm quoting, the exclusion of the ignorant and thriftless Negro vote will make for better political conditions, end quote. And to support racial segregation in neighborhoods to preserve what Sun writers called, quote, dominant and superior right wait white race just to name a few yeah number three goes to what you said in the beginning of the uh episode when you talked about our hinting towards the power of how our media how journalists have the ability to shape our opinions on world affairs things that are happening here in our country number three of one of their uh self-identified offenses and this really is amazing to me not amazing, but I'm appreciative of it. Like our Rio Tinto story from a couple of weeks ago, how they self-published what it was that they found inside of their workplace. The Baltimore Sun has done exactly the same thing inside of this particular story. Number three says that it was a failure on their part uh, of hiring or not hiring African-American journalists before the 1950s and too few journalists ever since. I want to pause there for just a moment. 
because there is um, uh, an association, National Association of Black Journalists, NABJ.org, NABJ, National Association of Black Journalists.org. And for the longest, they have, they have drafted articles, uh, held talks, they've published papers, and, and they've gone after, I, I shouldn't say gone after, they've highlighted the the lack of representation, the dis- disparate coverage um, across across the media landscape, you know, from the big television powerhouses to radio houses, I mean, digital platforms. F- for the longest, they've highlighted this disingenuous and inferior toned reporting for an extremely long period of time. And I think it's extremely important that people who are not from Baltimore share something with you all. We have a nonprofit organization here in the city of Baltimore by uh, the name of the ABLE Foundation. The ABLE Foundation, formerly known as the AS ABLE Company Foundation, was established on December 31st, 1953 by Harry C. Black, a philanthropist and then chairman of the board of the A.S. Able Company, the former publisher of the Baltimore Sun. I bring that up because there is a lot of conversation around how philanthropy takes place in cities. And one of the things that I look at when we are consulting inside of organizations not only are we looking at your hiring practices and HR policies, but we are also looking at how are you giving money to organizations in your cities? Now, I don't know this to be true. I don't know any history on the ABLE Foundation in terms of their giving. I I didn't do that amount of research for this particular episode. But the question becomes, the ABLE Foundation is a titan in the philanthropic land space, land philanthropic space here in Baltimore. Has their giving been tainted by the original founders? And if it was, has it shifted? Have they themselves made an apology? Just something for us to think about. Julie, do number four for us. Yeah, I think this one set with me probably the most. Uh, a, re- a reliance by too many of us for too long on the word of law enforcement over that of Black residents who said they were being improperly targeted by police. Yep. And I'm just telling you all, you you got to understand when when the organization itself says that we've done wrong and they are willing to give you a number of examples, you got to have you have to have some degree of appreciation and hope that now that they've admitted their shortcoming, that we are able to hold them accountable in the journey forward. How is it that we are going to make things better? And just because we are highlighting the Baltimore Sun, you all might remember Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. The feeling is that this was our decision, therefore the consequences are on us. Um, and despite 
three years of, of, of asking for help and seeing or, or visualizing how this might end, mm -hmm. it was, I don't know, I just, it was, it's been, it's, look, it's been really hard because I'm trying, I am part of, I'm part of the system with, with them, I always have been. Hmm. You remember that, don't you? Oh, oh yes, always. Um, and, you know, just to wrap this up, the Baltimore Sun is not the only news outlet, and I'll look forward to kind of diving into these and seeing where they make my head go or my brain go. The LA Times in September of 20, Kansas City Star, December of 20, Columbia Journalism Review, January of 21, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer just up um, late last week. And um, as you may remember from a previous episode, Torn and I highlighted the Howard Center for Investigative Jur Journalism's 2022 project called Printing Hate. Um, they have a dearth of additional new stories on there every single month. Definitely go check that out again. So Torn, I ask you, where, where do we go from here? Where we go from here is that we continue to make sure that we are looking for inclusion and representation and equity and belonging in all places and spaces where we are assembling people, building high-performing teams. While I know the conversation so often slants towards technology because it's, you know, it, it's just in so much of what we do in terms of live, work, and play, that we cannot ignore the conversation of diversity and inclusion or DEIB or any other acronym, we cannot ignore the importance of that conversation in any place where people are involved. Is that fair? Absolutely. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Listen, um, we want to make sure that we throw in our uh, ad real quick, and then we're going to get to our Her Voice segment because we appreciate the good folks over at Tal Vista. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Great, great, great. So our Her Voice segment, which is where we amplify women that are making moves, it's sponsored by Talvista, where they say seeing beyond the obvious. Our first person this week is... Um, her name is Veronica Placencia. Placencia, I think I'm pronouncing that the correct way. She works for the Bakersfield uh, affiliate that's in Bakersfield, California. She works for the affiliate 23ABC. She was promoted to news director. And I absolutely love her Twitter handle. Her Twitter handle is Newsmom Veronica with a K. 
news mom Veronica. She's originally from El Paso and hopefully her background and culture will add to the conversation of inclusion and perspective, which we just touched on a moment ago. And we have a once controversial book that's found a new audience titled Our Separate Ways, Black and White Women and the Struggle for Professional Identity, which generated an alarm when it was published back in 2001. It was said by that it was said by some professors that Ella Bell Smith and Stella Nomo, uh, regarded as organizational behavior royalty, would put their tenure in jeopardy if they published it. The book studies the experience of 120 black and white female managers to explore where race and economic status, and not just gender, play a role in their career outcomes. It hit shelves again on August 10th, 2022. And the Olympics is over. Three indigenous women made history. Jocelyn LaRock, Jamie Lee Rattray, both of the Metis Nation played for the Canadian team, and Abby Roke Ojibwe from Wanapide, First Nation for the U.S. Listen, I know I'm butchering that, but if you get out online and do a quick Google search, three First Nation, three indigenous women played in the Olympic Games, and this was the first time ever. It was the largest, largest contingent of indigenous athletes in the Olympic Games ever. I promised a quick resource. I'm going to give it to you um, regarding alt text. It's a uh, resource titled Alt Text as Poetry Workbook. We'll include the link, but if you miss the link and you are Googling, just Google Alt Text as Poetry Workbook. And real quick, Black History Month is coming to an end uh, in a resource that I uh, learned about last weekend as I was riding around the city. Uh, it was founded by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who many consider to be the father of Black, his black History. Uh, he founded an organization titled the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. The uh, acronym is ASALH. You can also find them on Twitter at A-S-A-L-H. Oh, and um, as a quick name drop this week, you can now find the names Crazy and the King on Amazon Music and Audible. On Amazon Music and Audible. I think we trying to grow a little bit. Love it. Close reminding each and every one of you to share the podcast with your digital tribe. Like do everything that you can to find your voice inside of your organization. Let's be better humans. Let's build better teams. Let's build better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. 
Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.